Hello, welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. This is John Green. I'm your host, and we are at the 15th day of November in the year COVID-19 2020. Um, we are now what 175 or so weeks into into 2020. Um, as I posted yesterday on Facebook, you know the good thing about being a liturgical Christian is the church year, which it defines the way we live and the rhythm of our life begins not on January the 1st. It begins on the first day of Advent, and that is two weeks away. So I'm just going to plan on saying 2020 is done in two weeks when Advent begins. I don't want any more of 2020, although I'm quite afraid of what might 2021 might bring, right? Because there's going to be all kinds of craziness between now and then. There's all the election challenges and all the things that have to be done in order to certify this election and to move on. It's <clears throat> going to be filled with more twists and turns as only 2020 can do. There seems like if you're a numerologist, it seems like there's something you could do with those numbers and say, well, here you go. This is what's going on. But let's hope that 2021 is, is a whole lot less eventful than 2020 has been. So, been a pretty good week. Not too much going on. Not too much exciting. Um, trying to think of anything. In fact, I haven't done much this week. It's been sort of a quiet week. The temperature's beginning to change. All the leaves are off the trees now as I look out the window and um, it's it's winter is kind of becoming reality, although it's going to be like in the upper 60s here late in the week, so it's not going to be that kind of week. Had an interesting week at work. Some um, things happened that that I've found a new friend, and I'm looking forward to getting to know her better, and so I'm, I'm glad about that. Um, had a good week with friends all week at the gym and hanging out with them, and one in particular who shared multiple prophetic words with me over the last week, and I appreciate that. It's been um, good, I guess, is the best way to say it, but it's interesting because what, what I'm realizing is is that there have been so many times in my life when, when I've been given words and given direction on things and haven't followed those things. I've been reluctant to follow that, and so am I getting bolder in my old age? Well, we'll see, given the things that people have been telling me. So anyway... Um, that's got something to do with this day, actually. I want to start today looking at the Old Testament passage, actually, which is something I don't normally start with, but I am today, and it's Judges 4, 1 to 7. And so they've had a righteous king named Ehud, and Ehud has died since that time, or not a, ju not a king, a judge. Uh, he, he has since died. And what happened is pretty much what always seems to happen in uh, Jewish history. After one righteous man leads, then the people drift away in the next generation. And you remember last week I was talking about the importance that Joshua placed on the renewing of the covenant by the generation who was going to take the, or had taken the land, actually. He, he made them renew the covenant in a physical way before they crossed over the Jordan. He, the, the men who had not been circumcised while they were in the wilderness, he required them to be circumcised before they began the conquest of the land. And so in that way, they kept the covenant uh, going because they, they did the physical things necessary. But then at the end of Joshua, what he does is he has to require them to re-up spiritually. It's not just a physical thing. 
it, it's spiritual. You've got to make a, a declaration of that renewing of the covenant. And so with judges in the period of the judges and the kings, we see a consistent problem with a righteous leader then following that righteous leader, the people lapse. They're not renewing the covenant in each generation, essentially, is the problem. And so here, after Ehud dies, because they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord, he sells them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Hazor is north of the Sea of Galilee. So the commander of the army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth, Hagoyim, which has to do with he lives outside the land, is what that's telling us. And they're further, so there he's north of this whole area. And all of this is, is north of Jerusalem, just so you'll have the geography on this. And at this time, remember, these people, they're not really a people so much because they don't have a place. They, they have the land. But there's no central place that organizes the people and pulls them together as one. So they're, they're different tribes still because they don't even have a temple yet. So the commander of the army was Sisera, who lived in, in Harosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. Bethel was the first center of worship. And so all this is north of Jerusalem, south of where Jabin, the king of Canaan, reigned in Hazor. So they're coming down from the north and oppressing the people of, of Israel in that area, and so we're told that Deborah, this woman, was a judge over Israel at that time. It's a very rare occurrence in the people of Israel's history for a woman to be in charge. But here she is, and the people of Israel came to her for judgment. So she gave rulings and legal opinions about the law, and when I say the law, I mean the Bible. And she was leading those who would come and seek her out. So she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinuam, from Kadesh Naphtali, which is a little bit north of where she lives, but still south of Hazor, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, which is right on the Sea of Galilee, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. Those are two of the sons of Jacob who are now to be called into service because they live close to that area. So it's not calling all the people of Israel. Only these two tribes are going to send 10,000 people. <clears throat> and I will draw out Sisera, says the Lord, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. River Kishon then serves as a place where two major events in Israel's history take place. One is this, where um, Barak indeed does defeat Sisera at, at uh, Kishon. But then the other thing that happens there is, is that's the place where Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal after Mount Carmel and slays them there at Kishon. So it's an important place. Um, here the, it's... it's Deborah is giving the word, the command, 
to Barack on what to do. Now, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, is that he refuses to go unless Deborah goes with him. He won't go on his own. He's putting his trust too much in in Deborah to do this. But we shouldn't give him too hard a time because the writer of Hebrews lists him in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11. So, so we can't sort of put back our opinion onto this man based on the scripture because the writer of Hebrews gives him a great place in Jewish history. Now, Deborah is superior to him in this way, but he's afraid a little bit to go without her, even though God's promised he will give them the victory. And so ultimately what happens is, is the one who defeats Sisera, Barak has chased him. He decides to hide in a house uh, owned by Heber the Kenite, which is another Jewish tribe. Um, and Heber the Kenite's wife, Jael, um, kills him in that place, not Barak. So God gets the glory, and he gets it through these two women and this man, Barak. But, but she gives the word and the command from the Lord for what he is to do. They, that Sisera may have 900 chariots of iron, and the, the Israelites wouldn't have had any. I mean, literally zero chariots of iron. They would be much less prepared for this battle than it would suggest with 10,000 men to go against um, Sisera here. And so they, they do indeed get the victory, even though that's not in our reading today. But there's this <clears throat> sense of the command of God given through the judge of Israel, to this man who is now to command the army. We don't, we're not told anything more about him other than he's the son of Abinoam and where he's from. And so that's all the information we get. We have no idea whether he was some sort of a general or head of a, a, a um, army or anything like that before that. But she gives the word that if you do these things, then God will give him into your hand. And so he doesn't go readily, as I said. He waits and refuses, in fact, to go until she, Deborah, goes with him. Keep that in mind as we talk about the, the next thing that we need to deal with, and that is um, the First Thessalonians 5, 1-11 passage. And Paul is here telling the people, um, be prepared, be about your business, don't worry about what's going to come. They're, they're apparently in Thessalonica. They were deeply concerned about what would happen next. And so at some level, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And I see that today in, in the church and in Christians. I get far more questions lately about things like the rapture and stuff like that, that that I just look at and think, you know, what, why are you concerned about this? And it's people who are concerned that we're in a time in history right now um, when there's there's great uncertainty in in everything in life. We are so polarized that that people on each side believe that if the other guy becomes president, then it's awful. And we call each other names and we refer to people as Nazis and fascists and all this kind of stuff. And, and if you take a step back, I think you'll realize that's just not true. Um, and we're worried about COVID and all that. And so what too many Christians are engaging in is a dangerous form of escapism where what they want is for this to end and the Lord to come and take them away so that they don't have to go through difficult times. And the 
problem is the world needs the church to navigate those difficult and turbulent times as one. I see too many Facebook arguments where people are ripping into each other who I know went to church together and, and have been brothers in Christ for many years, and they're ripping each other over politi politics. And it's terrible, terrible to watch this. The church has a witness to the world in perilous and troublous times, and that is the, the witness of there is a king. His name is Jesus. He is king now in our world. We live in that kingdom primarily, but instead we've been consumed by this nonsense, and we've forgotten who we are. We, we've forgotten what our mission is because we're fighting all the time over politics, and we're not about the work that we've been given to do. And so Paul is addressing that escapism in the people in Thessalonica, and he says, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, we have no need to have anything written. You have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they'll not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him, and therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are already doing. Get your head out of the politics, love your brother, encourage your brother and sister. Paul says, you got your head in the clouds, people of Thessalonica. You're too concerned about something that shouldn't concern you at all because you've already won that battle. Now, get about the business you've been given to do on earth. So they were fighting, a, they, were, they were concerned with what was to come to the extent that they were not being useful servants in the present. And as I said, I've been asked too many times about and seen too many articles and video stuff that's out there recently that has to do with, are these the end times? And people want to know, are these the end times? Is this the da 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 Whatever. Paul's response would be, get busy. You're doing exactly what Barak did here, and he put his trust in this leader instead of the God who spoke through the leader. We Christians need not be wringing our hands and sitting around waiting for anything at all. We need not be concerned about the future in that way. And, and we need not try and avoid dealing with difficult times. We're desperately needed to be light in a dark world right now. Whichever side you're on, you might think the other side's dark. Well, be light. Don't be dark. Don't be ripping each other and saying you're a fool because you believe this person or that person. Don't. No, no, no is the answer to that. No, church, 
come together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and consider that to be the most important thing. In fact, the only thing that truly matters. We've been allowing ourselves to get pulled away and pitted one against another over political things. And then we paint a religious picture on top of them and we mimic and mock those who disagree with us in the church over politics because now we've baptized certain kinds of political things and we're failing. We're failing to be light in a dark world when we fight one against another over Donald Trump or Joe Biden. That's failing, church. So as Paul says, Paul's pointing them away from their escapist thoughts of getting to heaven back to the work at hand. And he's doing so by saying there's three important things you need to remember here. Faith, hope, or faith and love, and the hope of salvation, which you've obtained through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He's reminding them that the incarnation is a central element in God's salvation plan, God taking on human form and coming into this world to live and die as one of us. That, that this life matters is what the Incarnation said. That God cares about this life, this world, this now, this present. And right now, the question is, so where are we in the midst of this thing that, we can, that, that so many people consider to be this enormous spiritual battle, one side or the other, both thinking the same? Where are we, the church, in this? Are we consumed by the political or are we consumed by God's kingdom? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus tells a parable, and he tells a parable about a man going on a long journey. He entrusted property to him. He gave five talents, which is an enormous amount of silver, to him, and then another two and another one. And then when he comes back after a long time, the one who had five, had been given five, doubled his money. He had diligently worked and, and made doubled the amount of money, so he proudly presented that to his master when he came back, and he was greeted with these words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Sounds like a really good man to invite him into that. He has trusted him with something, and he has proven to be a trustworthy person with what he's been given, and so now he's invited to enter into the joy of the master in that. And then the one with two, same exact thing happens there. The one with one comes, however, and says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. So he gave him his one back. And the master said, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Did you really? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, will be more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. My question to you is today, what are you doing with what you've been given? What has the church done with what it's been given? We've been given freedom. We've been given tax breaks. We've been given all kinds of things 
in order to, to allow us to prosper and grow. And we value those things sometimes, I think, more than we value what we've really been given, which is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can remember at one point there was some minor little piece of accounting and we're sitting in a leadership meeting and one of the people said, well, we've got to get that right because otherwise we'll lose our tax-free status. And what that means is my contributions won't give me a tax break any longer. It was the most important thing that had to be taken care of and worried about is whether or not my contributions to the church were tax-exempt or not. Really? That's how it works? That that's what this is about? I'm sorry, but that's too often the thinking in the church today. It doesn't have anything to do with the extravagance of God and the abundance that He promises here in this, if we'll be faithful to Him, if we'll take what He gives us and freely give that to the world and believe Him and trust Him in a way that Barack here refuses to do without Deborah going with Him. And so what in the world is wrong? We know as a church, we know what we've been given. We've been given a great commission. In Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, the eleven disciples, not counting Judas, who's dead, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And the problem is, we've been given the commission to make disciples and to teach people to observe all that I have commanded you. And what we've done is we've given salvation by saying, nope, you said a prayer. And you received baptism. And we've given people the false hope and the lie that their life no longer matters. It was only the life of Jesus that made any difference at all. The, the life of Jesus in them today through the power of the Holy Spirit is considered not inessential, but, but it's far less emphasized, this process of sanctification, than justification. And the way that Jesus gives that great commission is to say, no, there's a lot more to the salvation event, and that's the reason Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that there's a lot more to the salvation event than justification, positionally being declared righteous because Jesus died without sin on the cross and was resurrected from the dead. And if we receive him, then we have new life, but we have salvation and we have eternal life. But Jesus makes a big deal here of baptizing, making them disciples, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. And I think that's what we've done is we've watered down Christianity We've watered down salvation. And we fail to impress upon people what they do here matters. It matters ultimately in the same way it mattered ultimately what Jesus did. So that's the first thing we have. We have a commission from him. But we also have a promise. I am with you always to the end of the age. And he's with us always to the end of the age in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who did all those things in the book of Acts and the same Holy Spirit who gave gifts in the way Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians and other places, that Holy Spirit, that was given to the church. 
even to the end of the age, not to the end of the apostolic age when the Bible was settled, but after that as well. Do we see those miracles or the churches doing those things? Are we like in the time of John Wimber who reads the Bible, goes to church, somebody says, hey, what do you think? He said, that's, all, that's good. When are we going to do the stuff? And the pastor said, what do you mean the stuff? He said, you know, like healing people, restoring sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, all that kind of stuff. When are we going to do that part? When, when does that happen? And the pastor said, oh, that ended with the apostolic age. He said, can you show me that in the Bible? And then he went on to start a ministry called the Vineyard, and the Vineyard reached millions of people throughout the world and touched other churches that were not Vineyard churches. Some of them were even Episcopalian churches. With the power of the Holy Spirit, people began to believe. They began to trust God for that promise, and they began to see things happen, and they began to see lives truly changed physically and spiritually because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the belief that God is still with us. We've become like the church Francis Chan describes in a video that I'm going to share on the Facebook page um, where a person, we, we tend to walk on this balance beam and see life as a frightening adventure that we have to get through safely, like I was talking about with the escapism. And so we stand on the balance beam and we live in gated communities. We send our children to Christian schools. We never go out in places where we would meet well, people like the man that the Good Samaritan had to help. We wouldn't go into places where we could actually bring truth and light because we thought those places were dark and therefore we avoided those dark places. And then Chan's metaphor shows at the end of life the person jumping off the balance beam, which is very low, by the way, and acting like they just stuck some great landing, raising their hands in the air, tossing their chest up, and thinking God would be proud of that. We live a perfectly safe life where little is asked of us because we can talk to our friends about our Christianity and we can be secure in our faith because nobody ever challenges us and we're not challenged to share the gospel in word and deed. Paul's message to the church at Thessalonica is stay awake and get busy. Get busy about the business of life and the business that, of what you've been given to do by Jesus. And it's interesting that because we've so watered down salvation, we've done one other thing too, and that is we've, we've basically uh, outsourced evangelism. We've outsourced it to the church at some level, or then we've outsourced it to other people who we call evangelists. We've limited the number of people who can share the Word of God because we have churches that have off-site campuses and all they get is one guy who is a superstar and a hero who preaches on a television. No, God's raising up people all around to speak into the communities in which they live, the people among whom they live. And we've forgotten that it's our job as Christians, every single one of us, to do the work of evangelism and to do the work of the Great Commission. I had a guy I was witnessing to a woman, which, which just meant that I was sharing life with her, and she began to share her Buddhist faith with me. And as, when she would do that, I would share what Christianity had to say about it. And, and we, had, we were becoming friends. And she was sort of a, a person who didn't gather people to her. I had one of the members of my church tell me that, that they, she was a little bit frightened of this woman because she never smiled except for when she was with me. And 
we, we just were developing a friendship. I'm not saying that we were she was coming to Christianity. I'm just saying that that we had a friendship, and I was able to share my faith with her because she shared hers with me, and she was intrigued. And then a guy came and asked me if I'd introduce him to her. And I, sure, so I did. And then shortly after that, I don't see her at all. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Finally, run into her one day. She started coming at a different time of day because of that guy. Because he had invited her to church like 10 minutes after I introduced him. And, and she said, I'm a Buddhist. And he said, uh, you think it's right that you reject Jesus without ever giving him a try? And she said, how do you know I haven't given him a try? But she came up and hugged me that day and said, I'm so sorry, John, because I miss you. And we talked, and then I talked to him and told him what he had done. And, and his, his response was, I had the gift of evangelism. I said, what does that mean? He said, I invite lots and lots of people to church. I'm sorry, brother. That's not the gift of evangelism. That's a gift of inviting people to church, and there's nothing in the Bible about that. We are all called to be evangelists. We're called to tell the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done in our lives. And without him, we are nothing, and we are hopeless in this world. It's telling your story of Jesus. It's not inviting them to come hear somebody else share the gospel. If you don't know it well enough to share it with somebody, then do you know it at all? have another friend who's completely different than that. She shares the gospel with everybody. The woman is fearless. There's a guy that I've known for a long time. I've barely even spoken to about spiritual things over the last probably 10 years or maybe that I've known him. She gives him a tract, gives him a Bible, and says, I'm always here to talk with you. Guy gave his life to Jesus. I feel like a failure. Because she's bold in her witness. It's exciting to see that. I've got another friend that I've recently met at the gym as well, and he's bold in his witness as well. He, he is a different kind of witness, but he will do things like there's a guy that he just met a couple of days ago. He finds out something about his life. He says, I've got a business that I just started. He doesn't have any idea whether this guy's a Christian or not. What does he do? He prays for him, prays for his business. Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how winsome it is when somebody says, I don't know you, I don't know what your faith is, but I'd like to pray for you right now over your business, that you would be successful? And if he is, then he'll know, at least in part, just because my buddy prayed for him and asked God to bless it. It's not as hard as you want to make it, but it's impossible if you never do it. Get your head out of politics. Get your head out of escapism, trying to get away from everything. Bring light into a dark world. Don't stay just in the light. Go to those dark places and take Jesus. And he promised he'd be with you even to the end of the age. Fear not, church. Fear not, Christian. Be bold. Be joyful. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name's John Green. If you... See the link next to the, uh, the recording today. What You can click on that and connect with us on Facebook in that place. Please do. And you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify as well. It's been a great time being with you. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus as King. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to beginning Advent and to beginning a new season and new life in the church. Take care.